creatures of a God and King, all living things will praise. From the ends of the earth, the saints will rise to see. They'll see from valleys low to mountains high, from every distant shore. The call goes out. Greatness of your renown. 
Father, what a privilege it is to be your children, to be part of your family. We thank you, Father, for the space you give us, what you make possible for us as children in your family. We thank you for your presence, even here with us today, as we gather to worship you, to fellowship with you, and to just receive your word. And thank you, Father, for your goodness in every space and every area of our lives. We love you, and we celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are busy with our series, The King and I, and today the title of my message is Power Balance. The reason for this series is we're trying to find a framework and, and dig into Scripture to find a biblical framework that helps us to respond to the events and the, the things that are unfolding in our time. As I said last week, we're living in a time where there's great upheaval, lots of change, not only to COVID-19, but the social difficulties that we see, the We've had the, this mass looting in our nation and just so much that concerns us and it feels like, you know, and we know that things are changing. It's, it's more than just a, a feeling like that the world is shifting around us. It's, it's reality. It's happening. And that demands a response from us. It demands from us that we know that we are not just going along with the crowd as believers, but we want to make sure that we are responding from a biblical basis and, and, and that which reveals God's kingdom. And that's why we're looking at what is the biblical framework and how do we respond biblically. Last week, we, we spoke about that there's one king, that with all of the changes and everything going on, we must remember that, they, that God is on the throne, that there's one king that rules over all. They are competing forces in this world, but they're not equal. And, and the, the, the kingdom of darkness that wants to try and distract us and steal us away from the kingdom of God is not equal to the kingdom of God. It doesn't match his power. There's only one true king that rules for all time and for always, that is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want to make sure that however we respond takes that into consideration and, and responds from that place, that we're not, we're not panicking at this point in time because everything's falling apart. No, God is on the throat. But yes, we are in a battle. We are in a battle and we have to fight in this battle, but the weapons of our warfare are different. We don't fight as the world fights. We don't fight with anger and frustration and from fear and, and bitterness and for self-preservation. Our fighting is done in the spirit of Christ, which is a spirit of humility and servitude. And, and we spoke about how, how we do that. And today I want to go further and talk a little bit about more about authority. 
and power. And what does that look like in our world? And who has authority and who has power to do what? Who was given authority by God to act in certain ways? Because we must understand in the kingdom that to have God's rulership established and revealed in our earth is not about just doing the right thing, but it's the right thing done in the right way by the right people within the right uh, boundaries. Those are all things that are very important. And that's what we're going to look at today and uh, consider. So an important thing is to understand the kingdom as we talk about. When we talk about the king, there's one king, that means there's a kingdom. Now the kingdom is in a sense more than just about the king. It's about his rulership. It's about how he gives power and authority to others to be part of his kingdom. If you think we don't, we're not part of a kingdom uh, in South Africa, uh, you know, but we, we have a government. A government functions because there's authority that is delegated and spread amongst different institutions and different people and, and, and through different laws. And God's kingdom is the same. God's kingdom is about him as the king giving authority and allowing others to rule with him and to represent him with his delegated authority. Um, a lot of what I'm going to share about today, uh, it's been very helpful to read a book by Lander Cope. The title of the book is, um, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> I've lost, God's Reign, uh, it's God and Government. And uh, this, this book has been really helpful to me just in this time as I've refreshed some of these ideas. And she makes this quote where she says, A kingdom is the system by which a king delegates authority and power. The infrastructure, infrastructure through which a monarch creates liberty, jurisdictions, limits, and boundaries. So when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about this system of God's rulership that is established through how he delegated authority. Somebody else, a guy by the name of Jeremy Treat, puts it like this. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. So we must always understand that God's reign involves people. And God gave limited authority to people to rule in certain situations in, over certain things. And that's what I want to unpack with you a little bit. But to get there, I want to make sure that we have understanding about two aspects that I quickly want to touch on. And that, first of all, is what is power and authority? And I think we, we understand that there's a difference between power and authority. That, but ultimately, to get something done, you need power and authority. I want to say, just sort of plainly put, power is the ability to act. It's the capacity. It's having the power to do something. It's having the strength. It's having the might to do something, to get something done. Whereas authority is the right to act. So you can have the ability to act, but not the right to act. Or you can have the right to act, but not the ability to act. That's, I think, in a part what we saw happen, you know, two weeks ago when the, when the mass looting started, and, and we saw these the, this masses of people descend on malls and, and, uh, and warehouses. They had power. They didn't have the authority. They didn't have the right to go into those places that were owned by some other people that didn't belong to them, to go into that mall. They didn't have the right, but they had the power. And so they overpowered the securities of the, of the mall. And the police, we saw the police was at first unable to deal with this. The police had the authority. They had the right to stop people from looting, to stop people from entering. But they didn't have the power because there wasn't enough of them. 
Then the army joined and then the power balance began to shift again. And not only did the police now and the government have the power, but they also had the authority. And by that, they were able to, to stop people from looting. And we must always understand how these things work together. The authority that we have and the power that we have. Just because you have the power to do something, the might, the ability to do something, doesn't mean you have the authority to do it. That it might not, it, it doesn't mean it's the right thing for you to do. But if you, if you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't have the power to do it, you're also very limited. So how does these two things work together? And how does power and authority, and that's what we're going to unpack a little bit. So it was important for me just to, just to make that distinction. The second thing I want to say, uh, just in preparing for where we're going, is that God gave authority in this earth to other beings to represent his rulership. And there are three beings in God's creation that have authority, three levels of authority held by three different beings. The first is God's authority, which is the supreme authority. God creator, as the, created as the author. He has the authority over everything. Genesis 1 verse 1. It's so fantastic that our scriptures begins by putting this in place right from the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As the creator, he has the authority. He has the final authority. God's authority is clearly established and it is supreme. Um, he is the, 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 the author and the creator of the unseen and the seen world. And, um, but God in his authority gave limited authority to others to act on his behalf. But the foundation of justice is God. The foundation of justice, what is right, what is wrong in our world is God and who he is. God's justice is not arbitrary. It's not, you know, some, just God deciding, does he like uh, people stealing or doesn't he like people stealing? Mm, you know, no, God's character is in a certain way. And from who he is and his character, his authority, he created a system of, of what is right and what is wrong in this world, a system of justice. And that is what causes the authority of others to act, is to act on God's behalf to display his Justice. His desire is that for a just world to, by securing a set of biblical rights that are set within biblical boundaries. Biblical justice, therefore, is a set of competing interests and, and rights held in tension by law that is based on who God is, his character. When, if you take God out of the picture, right and wrong begins to make no sense. Ultimately, you end up in a place where there is no right or wrong. It becomes arbitrary. Because there is no author of everything. God is the one that has the first supreme authority. But as I said, God delegated authority. And he delegated authority to two other beings that he created. The first is human beings. God delegated authority to human beings in different capacities. But he did not delegate all authority to anyone about something at all, all the time. So there's no one person, there's no one human being that has all authority. But God took his authority and he gave to different human beings in different contexts, different settings, within different boundaries, he gave limited authority to them. But it's real authority. It's not fake authority. It's real authority. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, God gave Adam and Eve at first. He gave them real authority to act on his behalf. And that's why the scripture talks to, about us and it says we are co-heirs of the kingdom, co-workers with God. We have the right given by him, to, the authority and the power to act on his behalf and to represent his rulership. Um, 
And, but real authority requires real choice. We were given the choice. Um, and this is what puts our level of authority on, second only to God's authority, is that we have the choice, the right to choose how we will exercise the authority that God has given us. And I spoke about it last week with, with St. Augustine's two cities. You know, the, Are we going to choose to build God's city or are we going to choose to build man's city? We have the, the ability to choose how we apply our authority and use our authority. And we see this in Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. I read this last week also, but let me just remind you of it. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And, and then he said, um, and let them have dominion over the fish of, of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave man real authority. But then God also said in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God said, I want you to live and to rule on my behalf, but I give you the choice the right to choose not to rule on my behalf and to do to rule within your own understanding. And that's a very, very, very big deal. That's where free will comes from. And that's a, that's a big deal because free will is what elevates us from being merely God's robots to being God's co-workers. If it wasn't for free will, we wouldn't be God's co-workers. We would just be, you know, his minions, the ones that, that, go around and just do what he tells us and we have no choice in the matter. But because he wanted us to, because he made us in his image, that means we are in that way like him, that we have the freedom to choose, to act. And God gave us that freedom. And as human beings, we have a real authority. God allowed every one of us to choose to be able to sin. He was very clear and told us we shouldn't sin. And, but he gave us the right to sin. That doesn't mean we have the right to be free from the consequences of our choices. Every choice we make, because it's real authority, has real consequences. I mean, if you are able to make choices and it had no real consequences, then you have no real authority. Then it doesn't matter. But when the choices we make have real consequences, that means it's real authority. Every one of us, you know, if you're the manager at work or if you're a, you know, a, a parent in your family or where, to wherever place you are, you take your authority seriously because it matters, because it has consequences. If I decide something on behalf of my family and, and I decide to take some of our money and, and invest it somewhere and I didn't do my homework properly and I lose money for our family, I lose our savings, it has real consequences. We don't just go, ah, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, you know, just throw a dart at a dartboard and wherever you put the money, it doesn't matter. No, it's real. We live in a real world where there's real consequences. Our authority is real. So the second being that God created with authority was man. Then the third being that exists, that God created, that has some level of authority, less than man, but also has some authority, is angels or angels, the unseen forces. Angelic beings were made by God for the purpose of, of serving that which he desires to be done. 
And so the, the authority an angel has is limited to their assignment. In the scriptures we see when God wants something to be done on the earth, he sends sometimes angelic forces to go and act on his behalf. But their authority is limited to that assignment. It's like for most of the time the angels are waiting around and they're in heaven, they're with God, they're worshiping him, they're glorifying him, and they're waiting for an assignment. And with that assignment that they get comes authority. They don't have the authority that we have that is a, 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 a sovereign authority. They have an authority that is linked to the assignment that they were given. And so when an angel is commanded to go forth on God's behalf, they go within the authority of that assignment. But we see that there were angels that fell. Angels that were no longer content with having that limited authority. To their, they were striving and desiring for the authority that man had. And that's why right in the Garden of Eden already, we see the snake that is, that is the representation of Satan to come and is desiring for the level of authority that man has, this broader scope of authority, and, and wanted this authority. And so a fallen angel is an angel that is not prepared to be servant of God anymore. Powerful servants, angels are powerful servants, but servants with limited authority, as I said, with only within the scope of their assignment. And there were a group of angels that didn't want this under Satan's leadership. They wanted the, the authority also. And so they... A fallen angel is an angel that steps outside of the bounds of their limited authority and desires for more and wants to have more authority. We see this, for instance, in the scripture. It's alluded to in Jude 1 verse 6, where Jude says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, has kept he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of, uh, of the great day. These angels stayed, didn't want to stay within the bounds of their servanthood of God. They wanted something more. And uh, so fallen angels are a, a force, that a power that is active here in the earth. But we must understand, because they fell and they are no longer under God's assignment, no longer serving His plans and His purposes, they now have no authority. They have power, but no authority. So how do angels impact on this world? What they do is they try and usurp man's authority. And that's what Satan tried to do right in the Garden of Eden. And that's why the scripture talks about principalities and powers that are on the air. It talks about strongholds. What those things are is when Satan is able through fear and manipulation and lies to get man to listen to him and to obey him and act on his behalf under his uh, 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 guidance and under his intentions. And then he takes man's authority in that sense to do what he wants to do. That's why I said last week also, remember, that he's not a king in his own right that can create and, and establish anything. All he can do is twist and manipulate and deviate and dis destroy what God has done. He cannot make something of his own. And the way he does that is by taking man's authority and trying to use it for his purposes. Those are two things that I just wanted to make sure that we understand as we go into the instituted authority that God has put in place and that God has established. Um, because God gave us real authority, he had to give us real ways to exercise that authority and to act on his behalf and to have that authority in creation. Again, I quote from Lander Cope and this book, God and Political Justice. As a person, God created the individual. As a father, God created family. As a king, God created governance. And as a priest, God created religions. And I want to say that there are four dominions or four institutions that God established to whom he each gave a portion of authority 
to represent his rulership and to reveal his authority on this earth. And these four, as, as, as I mentioned now here, is the individual, is the family, is government, and is religion. And by extension of religion, we talk about the church. To rule through us as human beings, God created these institutions, and he gave each institution within its boundaries some authority and power to represent his rulership. And uh, God began uh, from the individual, he began to develop families and uh, create an institution to help mediate the impact of the individual's choices on, on the human community. And these four uh, institutions that God put in place, there's a tension that they have to hold, each from within their own space. They cannot take the authority of another. Then there's chaos. Then, there's, then we break outside of God's order. The scripture says God is a God of order. That means not everything is neatly packed in a row necessarily. That means that there's authority structures that have different uh, levels of order in within certain situations and, and boundaries that God has created. So again, these four that we want to talk about is personal, family, government, and religion. And I want to say that God gave sovereign authority to each of these to act within the power and authority that God entrusted to each of these institutions within their own right. Now, I know we don't like the word institution, but I want to tell you today, you are an institution set apart by God with authority, each individual. And that's where authority begins. It begins within the person. Every one of us has been given by God authority because of free will and our freedom of choice. And, and because he loves us and he created us, he gave us authority. And each and every one of us has sovereign authority over our own lives and the choices we make. Um, because we are created in the image of God, we are free and sovereign over ourselves. There's, there's things that nobody can, can do in my life without my choice and without my permission. There are things that I can do with my life that nobody can stop me because I have the free will. I can't do everything in every situation I want. I don't have freedom in everything. Like I didn't choose to get born, uh, for instance. So, but I do have a wide range of, of things in my life that is completely under my control and completely under the power of my choice. I have the ability to make choices. Um, we choose how we respond to circumstances. We don't have the ability to choose the circumstances we are in, but we always have the ability to choose how we respond to those circumstances. A friend of mine always used to say, you know, this to illustrate the point, he says, if I spit in your face, I'm not making you angry, I'm making you wet. To become angry is the choice of your response. And that's a crass way to put it, but it illustrates the point. That we always have the freedom. And there are certain things that I have the freedom to do with my life that, that God will not stop me from doing. If I decide that I don't want to have a relationship with God, that I want nothing to do with Him, God honors that sovereign choice that I'm making. If I decide I want to end my life, I have the right to do that. If I decide you know, where I live, whom I live with, what I do, I have the sovereign right to decide that. And nobody can take that right away from me. Um, because all, create, all individuals are created three. The, the border of your sovereign choices, we must, however, understand is that not only am I made free, but the person next to me is also made free and is also have a sovereign free will and also has sovereign authority. So in a sense, the boundaries where my free will ends is where another person's begins. And where, they, where my rights and, and, and the freedom of my choices 
ends is where the another person begins. Because we're not single people on this earth. Uh, and, and it's that tension that we begin to hold in how do what I choose impact on another person? Um, because if we, do, if we have, if, if I'm allowed to do whatever I want and not consider anybody else, then anarchy begins to ensue. As, as it is said, anarchy is the tyranny, tyranny of the individual overriding the freedom of everyone else. Whereas also, if I have no freedom to make my own choices, that it's always about what everybody else decides and I have no right, then it's tyranny. Tyranny, on the other hand, is when a relatively small group of people, mostly, takes away the rights of everyone else. When, when we're no longer right to decide, you know, use our freedom and our authority because we always have to listen to a group, other group, and, and, and let them have their way and, and follow their authority. The scripture puts these things in tension and says every person has individual authority. But we are not individuals that live within this world only by ourselves and therefore can do whatever we want. We form a society, and that's what God said when he commanded and he, and he commissioned Adam and Eve, and he said, go into all the earth and multiply. He meant create societies, create communities that live together where there's individuals that begin to, to have relationship with each other. And the prime example that God was saying, I want you to reflect, I want you to reflect as communities and societies what God is experiencing in the Trinity with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving, preferring one another, free within that unity that they have. God was saying, I want you to display the same. And so the next thing God put in place, the next institution that God put right there in Genesis 1, he established individual authority. And then in Genesis 1 and 2, he established the next institution of authority, and that was family. In that little short space of time, right there at the beginning of time, where so many important and wonderful things were happening, God took the time to institute family. You know, God created Adam, but Adam became aware of the fact that he was, he, was, he was the only one. He was alone in that sense. Not alone that he was without God, but as a human being, it was only him. And then God, in his wisdom, created out of Adam something, uh, someone that, no, something, someone that is the other to Adam, that is like Adam, but different to Adam. And, and he, he brought the two of them together. And out of, the, out of one, he made two. And then he said to the two, you shall become one again. But this one is different than just the one that Adam was on his own. This one is when two people come together by choice and choose to form a covenant relationship with one another, wherein they give up their freedom their sovereign freedom to have their own way and do whatever they want in life and bring that into a unity with another person and where they together form a unit and decide together how they will live and what their lives would look like. And this union between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, as instituted by God right there in the Garden of Eden, it matters a whole lot. God took the time to do this. Say, one man and one woman. And that's what we believe is the biblical model. One man, one woman coming together in a union where they, where they honor and submit to one another, where they release some of their authority to each other and become this very powerful further representation of the authority that God has given mankind that is based in the character of who God is. And God is three in one. And God said, I want you two to become a representation of that. And from that place, then God said, 
children will be born. And together this will form a new unit, a family unit. And it's amazing that right there in the garden, before they even sinned, God put a limitation around the influence that others should have in this family. Remember when he said to a man and, and the woman, he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And, and therefore he limited that, I, that there's the rights of an extended family over a nucleus family he put in place to say the higher authority is in the nucleus family. Now, it's wonderful that every one of us, me and my wife, Natasha and I, we're part of an extended family. And we have, you know, in parents and parents-in-law and brothers and sisters and cousins and everybody. And it's wonderful for that, new, that, that extended family and, and what that means to us and the, the blessing that that can be. But the extended family has no right and authority by God given to decide how a father, mother and children, which is the nucleus family, will live and what their life's choices will be. That is a sovereign authority, again, established by God. And that forms the nucleus of the rest of society. Society is built on families because God is a father. Another representation of who he is, his character. He made families. And he, and he said, within a family, there will be the honor that is established of preferring one another, loving one another, this covenantal relationship will give life and, will, and there's authority that he gave within a family. A family has the authority to discipline within that family. And nobody should take that authority away from a family. That belongs within a family. Their the choices of, of how a family lives and what a family, the values of a family, that is the authority of that family. But again, now God instituted the individual and then he put that intention with a family. And then as families began to grow and other families developed, then societies and tribes began to develop and tribes grew and tribes formed nations. And therefore they needed another institution of authority. And by Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy 1, we see God establish the third uh, 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 institution of authority that would represent and carry some of his authority. And that was government. And he began to institute government. And he gave certain rights to government. The first thing he said to government is you are there to protect your people against both internal and out external uh, threats. You have a right of protection. And, and as somebody said, God gave the sword to the government, as the scripture says. We don't fear the government if we act according to the law. But if we step out of the law, they have been given the sword by God. And governments were established by God to create a sense of of order within this, these families that exists of individuals. So can you see the picture? There's individuals that have authority. There's families that have authority. And then there are families that have to coexist and live with one another. So God instituted governments. And governments hold the tension again and bring a further element of tension. Because every family can't act the way they want to. Because the right of a family ends where the right of the next family begins. And who keeps those things in the right tension and helps establish that authority? And so governments were established by God. And government's authority lies within the people that it governs. That's how God instituted it. That it's the people that decide how they want to choose a government, who must be their government, uh, how their government must rule over them. The scripture doesn't tell us exactly this is the right way, this is the wrong way. It puts the power in the people and God says this is the authority that a government has is to rule over its people on behalf 
of its people. And that's how God instituted government. But government has limited authority. Government is there to negotiate the, 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 the relationships between the people of that nation and also how that nation relates to other nations. And, and the government is there to, to, to create these building blocks, to create a solid foundation of a society. Now, obviously, we live in a fallen world. So we are never going to have a perfect government, like we're never going to have perfect individuals, like we don't have perfect families. But we can choose to aspire to remain within God's pattern and to live according to God's um, his laws and the way he instituted his laws. Like I said, it's not the kingdom is not only just doing what is right, but it's also doing it in the right way, the way that God instituted it. And that's the freedom of choice we have. And while we will never get it perfectly right, we can represent God's kingdom better or worse. Government can do a, will never get it right perfectly, but they can be better in how they represent God's rule or they can be worse. As an individual, I'll never get it right, but I can do better. I can live in a space where God can bless me or I can live under the curse of God based on my choices. Families can live under God's blessing or under God's curse based on their choices. Governments can live under God's blessing or God's curse. But the government has the authority given by God to represent him in certain matters and to reflect his rulership. And then there's the fourth institution that God, that God brought about, and that's religion. God created families with authority, individuals. God created families, then God created government. And then the fourth one that he's established is God created the priesthood in the Old Testament. And God said that they, they are certain, there's an authority that needs to be given to people on this earth to represent him, to speak on his behalf. And God gave authority to people whom he chose. So where government is chosen by its people, the religious order that represents God is chosen by God, not by people. And God, therefore, and, and you can see how the Levites was instituted and how God treated the Levites different than everybody else in many ways. Because they were God's representative. And, and God said that not only is there an institution that needs to speak about the law and have the sword, but there's an institution that needs to speak on God's behalf. That needs to be the ones that is the influence in society that draws everybody, the individual, the family, and government to what God is saying and to God's word and to God's order. To be the, the, the word of God in a society. And that's their authority. That's their space that they were given. That's the delegated authority they, that they were given. Like individuals have been given the right by God to exist, religions have been given the right by God to exist. We obviously believe there's one true religion. But because there's free will, people have to have the right to choose which religion. And therefore people establish different religions. And religion is there to speak on God's behalf. Now, there's only one true religion. That really speaks on God's behalf. But we live in a world where people have the freedom to choose that. And that freedom was given to them by God. As a Christian, I, I know that my faith is the true faith. That Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Is the, the only way I can have everlasting life is through Jesus. And I want to influence other people and convince them of that fact. But I can never take their right away from them to believe what they want to believe. I cannot force my faith on them. We cannot do that. That was, was done by Constantine. And, and you know, it's either the sword or, or the cross. If you don't want the cross, we chop your head off. 
We don't have the authority to do that in God. If we want to use our authority as, as Christians, then we're taking the government's authority. The government has the authority given by God to protect its people and therefore to institute laws and punishments. The church does not have that authority. We were not given that authority for the rest of society. Within our churches, we have authority to, 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 to say what is right and what is wrong and to bind and loose certain things, to say we will bind this behavior and we loosen this behavior. We have the authority to do that in our own, but we cannot do that on behalf of everybody else. Therefore, the church cannot legislate its morality. It can, we cannot make laws because the church says this is the way. That's government's role and that's government's right. And we have to understand how these things work in tension. And again, I want to say, we, on this side of Jesus' return, we're not going to have it perfectly. But we have to respect the right of the individual to have authority. We have to respect and understand the God-given right of the family. And we have to respect and understand the God-given right of the government and the God-given right of the church to speak on God's behalf, to represent Him. And so I want to say, the, in, 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 in personal authority... The office bearer of personal authority, the, the person that represents that authority is the person, obviously, the individual. And they do that through freedom of choice. That's their instrument. That's their power that was given by God. In a family, according to biblical structure, the person that, that carries the representation of the father of family finally is a father in a family. And a family's authority is built on honor. It's built on loving one another, on sacrificing for one another. So a father is not the head of a household. In his, he's the head honcho. He's the ruler. His word goes. He is the chief servant of the family. He's the one that through sacrifice and, and honoring and humility creates the space for his family to get to know God uh, within that context and God's authority. We see that being usurped. And that's why we talk about things like honor killings in some other religions where, where, where a family authority becomes isolated and, and, and almost worshipped for what it is. Our faith holds all of that intention. So as a father in my family, I have to understand that I have authority in my family, but I also have to understand each of my children has individual authority. And there's some places where their individual authority trumps my authority as a father. And, and, and how do we hold those things all in tension? And if we mess that up, even the right things become difficult. And, be, and is exercised in the wrong way, and it hurts. How do we hold those tensions? And then government, the, the office bearer of the government's authority is the king. And in our days, we don't have the kings. We talk about our presidents or our prime ministers. The, the, those that are instituted by government as officers of the government, they have. And the way they rule is with the law. They institute law. They have been given the right by God to make laws to protect its citizens and to promote the well-being of our society. And then the last one is the religion. And in, in our faith, religion is instituted and the office bearer that was established is the priest in the Old Testament. And, and from there, the, the, the church leadership, pastors and the elders of the church. And their instrument is the word, the revelation of who God is. And for a society to work, you need all four of those institutes to work within their boundaries, to understand their role. And to do it to the best of their ability to reflect God. Then you have a chance of God's kingdom on, heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a broken world where nobody gets it perfect. And we must remember that sin, sin harms. Sin, uh, it, it changes, but it does not destroy. Because we have sin, it harms how people use this, 
the authority. It twists how people use the authority, but it didn't take away their right to the authority. And so a government, by God, is given the right to represent him in certain matters. And just because they've fallen in sin doesn't destroy their right to do that. They still have that right. Our job, that's why the scripture says, pray for your government. Our job is to be the influence. So the job of the church, for instance, is to be the influence. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week is how do we do that? Is to be the influence that, that pulls the tension for our government to come, to come closer to what God is revealing and saying. It's not our job to write the laws of this nation. That's the government's job, and we must respect them. We may disagree with them, and in a democracy like ours, there's various instruments that is available to us to engage with government, to talk with them, to disagree with them, to fight with them if we need to, but we always have to respect that they were given, they're acting within their God-given authority. That's very important. And so that's what the Scripture tells us in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the government's authority. Every person, remember, every person that is given individual authority. You have authority, but you've got to take your authority in certain situations and subject it to the government's authority. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This scripture doesn't mean, remember, Paul is writing this in the time of the Roman Empire, where the Roman Caesar felt and <laughs> believed that he was God or the very representative of God. The, the Christian faith was challenging that idea, was challenging the culture, was diametrically opposed to that. So Paul is not saying that Caesar is right. He's saying Caesar is wrong. But the fact that there is a Caesar was instituted by God. And we must work to show Caesar. And that's why Paul said, man, I want to go to Rome and I want Caesar to know who God is. And the way I'm going to get there is I'm going to allow them to arrest me and to persecute me. And then I'm going to call on my citizenship, my right to appear to, to, to Caesar. And I'm going to witness to Caesar. But Caesar has the right to arrest me because he has the right to make the laws. But I have the right to go and speak to him. And we must understand that in our nation. And the reason I'm sharing these things with you is because we begin to understand this. We understand the rights that we have and how we act within those rights that reveal who God is, that what God's plan is. And, and as the church of the Lord Jesus, it's very important at this time that we understand our role. And I want to be real with you. Right now, we have, we have pastors that are very upset because the government tells them they cannot have church with more than 50 people. Regulations changed. And they... they to saying that because the government is doing that, the government is persecuting the church and standing against Christianity. Now, there are things that our government is doing that is against Christianity, but this, I believe, is not one of them. Is it the government's right to protect its people within a pandemic and to make regulations that limits our movement and limits our gathering because they, 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 they believe that super spreader events are possible? Is it their right? Yes, it's their right. It's what God has given them the right to do. Are they right in what they're doing? Perhaps not. Perhaps there's scientific evidence that says different. But it's still their right to make that decision according to the best knowledge they have. And at some point, I've got to trust. I've got to say, this is what God instituted and I trust. 
If it is proved to be wrong, then we deal with that. But we've got to trust and, and, and submit to their right and their authority to do that. And by the way, we're not the only ones that are not allowed to gather. I mean, yesterday the Springboks played to an empty stadium. So are they being persecuted? Is, are the Springboks being persecuted? I don't think so. I think this is the government's right. Now there are areas, and they are in our nation are busy unfolding, where the government is overstepping outside of their rights and boundaries to start telling the church what we must do and what we're not allowed to say and what we're allowed to do and not to do. Then we stand up and we speak against that. Because then they're not within their rights and their authority. They're stepping into our rights and authority. We still respect their right, but we engage with that. And it's when we are able to have these things in tension, when we understand what the rights of an individual is, but we don't bow to the rights of an individual, we also hold in tension the rights of the family, the rights of a community, of a nation, and the rights of the church. Those things the enemy is busy destroying at this point in time and pulling apart. And he's, you know, in some places you have the, the deification of the rights of the individual and, and, and then you get to liberalism and you get to you know, some of these decisions that are being made that destroys a community because it's just about the individual. Well, then you get a place where it's just the rights of the individual, uh, of the family, of the, uh, you know, and then you get to some conservative rights that are just, you know, out of balance. Or then you get to nationalism and it's all about the nation and the government and, and you know, some other uh, isms that represent that. And then you can get to fundamentalism when the rights of the church is supreme and, and not in, in tension with the rest or the rights of religion. The best way we represent God is when these things are held in tension. So I want to ask you to join me right now to pray, to pray for our nation. And when we pray for our nation, this is what we pray. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your rulership be represented by every one of these institutions in the right way, within the right boundaries and limits. And let us and ultimately know that we are accountable to you. The, the government is accountable to you. The individual is accountable to you. The family is accountable to you. And so the church is accountable to you. We want to represent God within our boundaries and limits. No person, no institution has all the authority all the time in every place. There's always division of these powers, the balancing that God does. So let's pray together. Let's pray for our nation right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that gives us the framework by which we can respond and react. And as we are in a, in a situation right now where there's so much that is pulling at us and, and things that we see is wrong and, and wants to pull us to step outside of our boundaries and outside of our rights and outside of our authority, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, we pray for your godly order to be uh, affirmed and expressed again in this nation in Jesus' name. We pray, Father, that the right tensions will be held in the right places. We pray, Lord, that the individual people in our nation will desire to honor you and put you first and to build your kingdom, not their own kingdoms, Father. We pray for families, Lord. We pray for the strengthening of our family. There's so much that is being done in, in our world at this time to destroy families. And therefore destroy the basic building blocks of society. We pray for families. We pray for families to, 
to choose to serve you, to honor you, to love one another. We pray for our government. We pray for their, their God-given right to represent you in certain matters, Lord, that they would recognize that and that they will do that in the way that serves our nation, that is not self-serving, but that builds your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray for that. And then we pray for the church, Lord. We pray that the church at this time will know its influence, will know its boundaries, will know when to speak and what to speak about and how to speak, to represent and to remind everybody else of their place and their, their boundaries and their authority, that everybody will take their authority. Keep us, Lord, from a church that will want to dictate and want to assume authority that does not belong to them in this time, in Jesus' name. And then I want to pray for every individual, every person, every family that's on this, in this service with me. I pray, Lord, strengthen them in their authority today, in Jesus' name. Every individual. I pray for you right now that may feel overwhelmed, that may feel that there's so much happening. Nothing can take your authority away to choose to serve God and to honor Him. And I pray for your strengthening and for the understanding of the Spirit of God that empowers you for such a time such as this. And for families, Lord. I pray for families. Strengthen our families, Lord, in Jesus' name. Marriages, strengthen marriages. Families, relationships between parents and children, strengthen those relationships. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for giving me time to share with you today. May the Lord bless you and help you as we negotiate his kingdom in these days, in Jesus' name. Amen.